0: The cooperative aspect really ties in to dealing with this you know, global pandemic. This is a way for you to kind of push off your you know, typical stresses and the challenges that you're, that you're having, enter into this imaginary world, take on the facade, and get into someone else's shoes for a little bit of time. You know, it can be a little bit freeing. By being able to step into this fictional world and play, you can really unleash a lot of stress and have a lot of fun at the same time. But then because it's a cooperative storytelling, you've got this, you know, shared camaraderie that, you know, can influence the, you know, what's referred to as out of game, the real world. Hello and welcome to
1: ADHD Essentials. for more details what's up team the 2020 international conference on adhd is going virtual this year which probably isn't all that surprising but does mean that it is much more accessible than usual i enjoy myself every year at this conference and i always learn a lot there's a great mix of the latest research educational and academic topic discussions and useful boots-on-the-ground tips, and the topics are split along multiple tracks, including tracks for parents, professionals, educators, the layman, even those who are new to ADHD. I highly recommend attending if you can. And I get to present a unique and out-of-the-box topic this year. I'll be speaking on using Dungeons & Dragons to support executive function and social-emotional skills. And I'll be running a DD game for people to watch as well. Which is why today's episode is about DD. But before we go into that, when you finish with today's episode, be sure to go check out our partner podcasts. The latest episode of ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers is a mastermind session with Erica, where Eric helps her stick to a plan. And in the latest episode of Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb, Will guides us through self-compassion, which is a critical skill if you have ADHD. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Dave and Ted from Nerdarchy. Dave and Ted are two dads with a passion for role-playing games that have turned that passion into a thriving website and YouTube channel. In today's episode, we talk about using Dungeons and & Dragons and similar role-playing games to create quality time with family. Dave and Ted discuss how role-playing games can help us bond as a family, how we can improve executive function and social skills as well as increase our social interactions through the games, the best games to get your younger kids started playing, it's not D&D, why role-playing games make great educational tools, and what to do if you think your kids might like it but you're not interested in playing yourself. Alright, let's get rolling.
2: I am Nerdarchist Dave from Nerdarchy, Four Nerds by Nerds, and uh, I got this nerd here with me as well. And I am Nerdarchist Ted.
1: And you guys run Nerdarchy, which is a website and also a YouTube channel that talks about Dungeons and Dragons in the big picture.
2: Yes, pretty much. We've got like 3,000 plus videos on YouTube about uh, various topics, which probably 99% of them are Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we've been known in the past to talk about other role-playing games and other nerdy stuff. And then the website is, you know, articles about D&D pretty much.
0: Yeah, our, our focus is D&D. But as Dave says, you know, we do have a, a lot of experience with other role-playing games. And much of what we, you know, take from those other games, we do to kind of inspire and build our own, our own D&D games. Uh, but it's, it's, it's definitely a passion and a hobby of ours.
1: Clearly, if you've got a YouTube channel, it's kind of moved beyond hobby, at least a little.
2: <laughs> it's been ingrained into our DNA and every aspect of our lives and our families' lives, whether they want it or not. You know, at this point, we've been doing it for the past six years, the neuro portion of it. But we've been playing games for 20, 30 years.
1: And I'm glad you mentioned families because you're both fathers.
0: Indeed. Uh, my son just turned 12, uh, you know, at the time of recording this just two days ago. And then I have a daughter who's eight.
2: I have a 19-year-old and a 15-year-old. So we kind of run the, the gambit.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty broad swath of ages in terms of what you might be facing with challenges and things for your kids. And it's awesome that you use Dungeons & Dragons as part of your family. Like it's a, it's a tradition. It's a, it's a hobby that you share with your kids. And, and do your wives play as well? Mine
2: recently started playing.
0: I have never played D and D with my wife, although I did meet her at a live action role playing game. You know, she used to play D and D, but after she found, you know, the dressing up in costume and running around in the woods, the tabletop version just wasn't really for her. Uh, so I've never really been able to, you know, get her back to the table for that. She has tried other stuff with the family, but we'll get more into that later.
1: Okay. I recently got my wife to the table for Dungeons and Dragons, like since the beginning of the year and it was a game that is it uses the dnd rules but it's a slightly different setting called humblewood where you're playing as anthropomorphic birds and sort of ground mammals like porcupines and mice and stuff uh that got her interested
2: we are we are very familiar
0: the fine people over at the deck of many put out humblewood it's a great campaign setting uh i backed the kickstarter i've got i've got my own copy here as uh, as i you know, already uh, informed you, Brendan. It's, it's really great. It's very fun and imaginative. And for children getting to basically play as this anthropomorphic animals, it is a great uh, starting off or jumping off point because it invokes a little bit more anima- uh, imagination because they've got the ability to throw off the, the shackles of the normal world of, you know, dealing with you know, humans or humans and elves. You know, to just like, boom, it's just animals. And it's, it's more fun that way for kids.
1: I agree. I'm finding that to be the case. And I found Humblewood through you guys. So thank you for giving that to my family and I. Oh,
0: awesome.
1: oh cool. Let's jump in and, and talk about what are the benefits of playing D&D as a family? How do we make it happen? How do we get our families to become engaged and crack this slightly complicated nut that is Dungeons and Dragons? It's a little bit of a rules-heavy game. So I'd love to hear what strategies and tips you guys might have.
2: Okay, so this is interesting because me and Ted have really diversely different stories when it comes to family gaming. Uh, years ago, I tried with my family and, you know, I had my, my son, my daughter, my wife, and, you know, my wife was into doing it as a family thing. And uh, my son was vaguely interested at the time, but more in like the mechanics and the gamey part of it. And my daughter, we kind of got her to the table, and we made her like a Monster High-style character. Uh, and I thought, and like, well, you know what? She still plays with dolls, and she said, so, you know, the minis are just a smaller version. Maybe she'll be into it. And, you know, we started playing, and she was playing a bard, and we had the spell cards just to make it easier. And the only thing she really seemed to like to do was play her spells as if they were like Yu-Gi-Oh!, cards or Pokemon cards, even though she, does, she doesn't know anything about those games, you know, in, in this sense. So the first attempt for me with gaming with the family was actually kind of a fail. It only lasted a few sessions. Um, it, it would only be a couple, a couple years later that I would then get my son into it. And then my wife would get into it. And then also, we're related. Ted is my brother-in-law. So our nephew also joined the game. Uh, but it took something really specific to get my son into it. And that was when we played a game called Mutants and Masterminds because he could play a super strong flying purple ape from space. (laughs) Uh, What was the hook that kind of got him into RPGs? So if you're a parent and you're a gamer um, that plays RPGs, if they don't first get into it, there's still hope that they might get into it later. I don't think my daughter ever will, but like now my wife is into it and my son is into it. So there's, there's always... So, I, But I think like the biggest thing is not to like really push it on them and, and force it on them or they're, they're likely to kind of rebel more against it.
1: And Mutants and Masterminds is like a superhero genre role-playing game.
2: Yes, yeah, it is.
1: Whereas D&D is more fantasy in terms of the storytelling that it's doing. And, and just to kind of frame this a little bit for my listeners who might remember from an earlier episode with Matt Fay, Dungeons and Dragons is really a cooperative storytelling game. We call it a role-playing game because you're playing a role of whatever the character is. But you're also telling a story because there's, there's a person called a game master or a dungeon master or a narrator, depending on what game you're using. And that person sort of frames out a story with some beats and some ideas and, and creates a bit of a world, depending on how that particular person operates and then the players all play characters in this world, in this story, and they affect how the story goes based on the decisions they make and the die rolls that they have that are successful or or failures. And so that's what the the appeal is, is that story side of it. And also the game aspect of it too. Did I succeed? Did I fail? That kind of stuff.
0: So there's definitely uh, a lot of things to, to take away with those points is, Number one, the cooperative aspect uh, really ties in to you know, your your topic here as we are you know dealing with this you know global pandemic. This is a way for you to kind of push off your you know typical stresses and the challenges that you're that you're having. Enter into you know this imaginary world, take on the facade, whether you want to dress up in costume or not. And 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 get into someone else's shoes for a little bit of time, you know, and get into that imaginary world, you know, it can be a little bit freeing. And even if you know you play a short game, uh, I know there are some RPGs out there that you know a forty-five minute to an hour and a half session is considered, you know, the normal length. D and D can be hours and hours long. You really can just go as long as you're you're really interested. But by being able to step into this fictional world and play, you can really unleash a lot of stress and have a lot of fun at the same time. But then because it's a cooperative storytelling, you've got this, you know, shared camaraderie that, you know, can influence, you know, what's referred to as out of game, the real world by working through all of this together, you know, you you can build leadership skills and bonding uh you know mechanisms so that you all share this and you know become a stronger family unit by doing it
1: i couldn't agree more one of the things that's fun about it is we've got some friends who all who play dnd with their family they have these shared stories that didn't exist in the real world like you didn't fight a dragon together except that they totally fought a dragon together
2: well you yeah, one of the interesting things about games like these role-playing games is Uh, when they've done studies, they find that when you talk about them, you talk about them as if you really experienced it, where if you experience a book or some other form of media, you know, it's always third person. It's like, oh, this thing. But no, when you play Dungeons and Dragons, it's like, I killed the dragon, you know, or my character died. You know, Or you might even not even say my character. You might just say I died. It's that
1: level of immersion that they can bring.
0: My family story, when it comes to how my family got into gaming, as I stated, my wife, she doesn't really play anymore, but as my my children were getting older, I wanted to expose them to it. And you know, Dave's brought up mutants masterminds. There are a number of other games besides D and D that are a great bridge for you know, getting children into RPGs. If you don't feel that they're quite ready for a game as complex as D and D, you know, there's a, a game called Hero Kids. There's a game called uh, No Thank You Evil, uh, and that's that's the game that I use. No Thank You Evil. My daughter, you know, a few months before she turned five, began playing RPGs, and we we played a handful of sessions of No Thank You Evil, and there is that you know kind of give and take economy with the game that she really understood just like you know dave's daughter wanted to use the spell cards she would use these chits to be like oh well i want to make this die roll easier or whatnot so she would turn the things in uh and, and that game is entirely just a d6 mechanic the standard die that everyone is used to using you know, only got a scale of one to eight yes i know there is no seven and eight on a d6 so uh you know, you got to get into the rules to figure out how, how that mechanic works. Uh, but all four of us, you know, wound up playing because I'm the most experienced behind the, you know, the storytelling screen. Uh, I, I obviously took that role and the family had a little bit of fun. My My son would look through the book of all the different options of things that you could do. But that particular rule set takes and makes a separation for the children to say, well, there is the, Game world and the real world, and in that in that setting, anything that happens in the game world can't get through to the real world. And there's actually story behind all of it, which I thought was a really really great setup. But you know, they you know uh, Monte Cook Games, the ones who put out No Thank You Evil, you know, they they say that the the rule set is designed for you know people of all ages, and there are. Many adults that prefer that game over, you know, D&D because of all of the nuances that they have because of the simplistic rules. I enjoy it for me. D&D is the go-to game, but I use it. I use No Thank You Evil as a bridge. And now my children play in a regular game uh, with me and with, uh, You know, my uh, our our shared nephew that, uh, you know, Dave mentioned earlier, as well as some other people. uh, And we've had the game going on for, you know, probably close to a year and a half, two years at this point.
2: Wow. Now, I don't know uh, if Ted has talked to my son yet or not, but he's angling to get back and get into that game.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) He, in fact, called me today.
2: (laughs) So one thing I would like to circle back to with the no thank you evil, just because I think it'd be extremely valuable to your audience is the fact that it's a resource management based game and there's physical representations, which Ted kind of uh, mentioned with, were these chits. So it's great as an educational tool as well, because maybe a child can't do the math real quick in their head, but what they can do is they can they can see the physical representation and understand how they're, they're gaining and losing these resources.
1: That's awesome. And, and another thing that's good about No Thank You Evil is that it, the book talks about kind of how do you want this game to feel? Do you want it to feel threatening? Do you want it to feel scary? Do you want it to feel lighthearted? And those kinds of thought processes are important for parents to have when they're setting up a game for their kids to come up with an idea of what they want. And I, I have no thank you, Evil, but I've never actually played it. I've read the book. My kids just wanted to go back into D&D, and so that was fine. But it's important to think about the age of your kids when you're running these games and what kind of a story do you want to tell. The first game I ran for my boys, they were like six, and the whole storyline was one of them could talk to birds and, and small animals, and a blue jay flew over and was like, goblins stole my nest. And their whole job was to go and find this blue jay's nest with its eggs in it and get it out of a bush and bring it to somewhere safer. There was no violence. There was no, they didn't even attack the goblins. They just snuck around until they could get this nest and save the eggs. And having that perspective on the lens of what you want your kids to experience is important because D&D can be a game that's a little more Lord of the Rings than Disney a lot of the time, but it can be run a little more Disney if you just take a little bit of time to come up with a plan.
0: I can't agree more. Uh, you know, w- with that, both the you know the no thank you evil and the D and D aspect. I do run a far more you know kid glove or softer game when I run D for my for my children. You know, uh, if you've got ways to be a little bit more lenient, you know, you you can certainly do that. And all of these games, uh, one of the great things is is when you when you are the DM the storyteller. The dungeon master, how, whatever terminology you want to use, you've honestly, you, you are in control and regardless of what the rules are, you can decide, well, this is how I'm going to do it. If you want to remove death as a possibility from the game, because kids have you know, too much attachment and they don't want to lose that character, you can get rid of that mechanic. And just say, oh, well, you are down until you are healed or until you complete, you know, a rest where you would restore hit points. You know, these are things that, that can be done. And for children who might have issues with separation or, you know, children who uh, can't take a loss because they've they've already suffered, whether you've got a, you know, a child that's come from foster care or been adopted, you know, that might be something that that they they couldn't deal with. So these are ways that you can go ahead and make the game your own and be, you know, be softer about it. So highly recommend doing that if you've got someone who's been down that kind of path.
1: All of this is alluding to something that you guys have codified for me. And that's the idea of a session zero. Can we talk a little bit about that idea?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially for the context that we're kind of talking about, like use, using it as a resource with your family. Uh, you know, we got all this crazy stuff in the world going on. So allowing your fellow players to express what they're comfortable with and what they're not comfortable with is really important. It might be a little bit harder if you're, if you're doing this with your family and children they may not be able to express that as easily as an adult would, but sometimes adults aren't particularly great at it either. But the session zero is just coming together and you agreeing as a group, what this game is about. Like you had mentioned the idea of what is the tone? What is, what is, what is it you want the game to do? Do you want it to be more like Lord of the Rings or do you want it to be more like Disney or something else? This is the time for everyone to voice that opinion. And then also, you know, since it's a cooperative game, If you're building an adventuring party together or a collective group that's going to be working together, how do they interact with each other? How do they know each other? Why, Why do they want to hang out?
1: Yeah, and even with kids, you can even session zero their characters a little bit in terms of what do you want your character to be able to do? Where is your character going to shine? For my guys, and we didn't actually session zero this. It just came up in talking about the game outside of the game at random times. But Nate is playing a barbarian. So some of this is kind of follows straight from there. He basically wants to play the big, strong hero. That's it. Just big, strong hero is his jam. The moments where he's shining and feeling motivated and engaged with the game the most is when he's like punching someone in the face or hitting them with a hammer. That's his deal. Like that's when he's having fun. And also when there's someone to save, as soon as there's someone to save, he's like, we're going to get to save a life. And it's like the best thing, the way his face lit up when he said that was amazing.
0: This is my call to action. I must be a hero in this moment. Ah.
1: Right. And he felt it. Like Nate felt that in the guise of an owl with an ax, right? Like he felt that I'm going to go save someone's life moment. And Gavin, on the other hand, especially right now, Gavin's struggling with some not feeling like he's effective in general. He's just feeling like I can't do anything right. School is hard. Doing it virtually is hard. This is really difficult. And also, he's feeling a little bit like he doesn't want to get exposed to this virus that's going on. His character is all about hiding. He's playing a ranger. He's all about hiding and like taking people out from afar and then doing something really clever and intelligent to have an effect on something else. He's sort of filling in those holes of not feeling safe around people and, and not feeling like he's effective enough with this game by being able to be more effective and, and also being a little bit sneaky. Some of that is taken from the Rangers Apprentice series that we're reading as a, as a family. But, but some of it too is, is completely playing out a little bit of what's going on in the real world.
2: Sometimes you might learn some disturbing things about your children <laughs> playing this game.
1: <laughs> For me, it was my wife that disturbed me. <laughs> they had captured a, a bandit. And they tied the bandit to a tree. And my wife was like, we just have to kill her. And I was like, what? And she, but she was playing much more game than story. She was like, if, this, if we just leave this person tied to the tree or let them free, they're going to come back later because that's what always happens. Yeah. And so I had to say to my wife, like, no, no, no. That's, that won't be how it has to happen. And if you take them prisoner, you will get them all the way to prison without them trying to escape and it being a pain in the neck. So I had to kind of session zero a moment in the game a little bit yeah to tamp down her level of aggression
0: <laughs> you can also you know you might learn things you don't want to learn but you can also learn things that you know you do want to learn things things that are motivational you know when when you get into a game where there are steadfast rules of this is how you do something and you see, oh, well, you know, this particular character or sorry, this particular you know, player or my child uh, is really good at doing this thing. And when they get into it and they, and they they go through this process and they're successful, you know, you might find that they're very, you know, motivation driven by, you know, this kind of reward. But that kind of reward doesn't really mean much. Um, you know, they might share something in character that might be closer to home, you know, it gives the, the, the children a chance to explore sides of themselves without feeling vulnerable because it's not really them that's doing
1: it. Right. Awesome. And it also provides a ton of problem solving opportunities too. That is critical right now, given that a lot of problem solving stuff happens at school and school is virtual and not as immersive and in depth as it has been in the past. So this is a good way to supplement that
0: and not not all schooling is doing interactive schooling my my uh, children's district it's literally they've got a Google classroom and they go in and they interact with just the text that's written there if they feel like they need help they can attempt to get a hold of their their uh, teachers during office hours but it's not a guaranteed thing uh, and that does force my wife and I to do more of the actual teaching and instructions and it's it's, it's been a real challenge for us. I'm very happy that there is this other avenue for my children to get you know interaction with other children and to you know have these you know stress free moments to just you know fool around and play my son's playing a dragonborn so it's like a dragon you know humanoid dragon creature that you know casts spells and then my my daughter who's obsessed with frogs is playing a you know a woodsy you know ranger frog that rides a bigger frog because she is that obsessed with it
2: <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> Also, uh, I'll throw this out there as a resource, if you don't mind. OutSchool is a homeschool program. And Megan Hardy teaches Dungeons & Dragons through that platform. And she does like 70 hours a week of Dungeons & Dragons with groups of kids. So like maybe if you think this is a good thing for your child, but you don't want to be the one to spearhead it, uh, it's definitely something that you could, you could look into. That's great. Yeah. And I'll link that in the show notes.
0: And Megan's games are, are, you know, shorter for the most part, you know, so if you're uncertain as to whether or not your child is really going to get into it, you know, the hour and a half, two hour sessions, you know, are, you know, easier to swallow as first time gamers.
1: So what other tips do you guys have for helping people get started? We've we've mentioned no thank you evil and choosing an alternative game to get into role-playing D and D is sort of the name That everybody knows when it comes to role playing, but that doesn't mean we have to stick with D and D.
2: So the experience is going to be different for everybody. The biggest thing is just jump in there and start. Right, it's a game like any other game. And the beautiful thing about Dungeons and Dragons is, it's a game where the rules don't actually matter as much. It's like whose line is it anyway? Uh, Mm -hmm. Like if you flub some rules, it's not going to ruin the game. You're not going to break the experience. You know, and as you as the more you do it, the better you're going to get get at. Because I mean. While this edition of Dungeons Dragons is probably the easiest of all of them, it's still, you know, three books that are fairly thick. So it's a lot of information to take in. It can be a bit intimidating. For your players, if you're you're an experienced GM and are experienced people at the table, but you have new players, I like to just tell them, just tell me what you want to try and do. And then we can figure out the mechanics and the rules to that later. Like it's it's not as important. It's more fun, I think and more important for them to just like focus on what is it that your character wants to do, right? If you focus on the rules and what's written on a character sheet, sometimes that stuff kinda is more of a hindrance than a help and you get locked into, these are the absolute things that I can do, but it's not. In a tabletop role-playing game, you can try to do anything you want to do just in the, the real world. You're gonna be bound by whatever laws of physics exist in that world and they might be even looser than the real world. So if you saw something cool in a movie and you see an opportunity to do it, why not? If there's the big wagon wheel style chandelier with the rope, you know, and you want to try and cut the rope and drop it on your enemies, go for it. If you want to kick over a barrel at them, why not? So I just like to, you know, tell new players, like, just play, just don't worry about playing the game. Kind of like play your character.
1: And even if there isn't a big wagon wheel chandelier, because the person telling the story didn't describe a big wagon wheel chandelier. That doesn't mean there isn't actually one there. You could just say, hey, is there a big wagon wheel chandelier in this bar somewhere? And hopefully the person telling the story is like, yes, what is this person going to do with the big wagon wheel chandelier? And then hilarity ensues, right? Like that's, that's the adventure part. That's the improv and cooperative nature of it
2: that's a big part of it. Like you're exploring this made up world. Like you said, you're in a ballroom and you know, you could ask the game master, the dungeon master, is there a chandelier? And they're like, "Uh, duh, it's a huge ballroom. Of course, maybe there's three of them, (laughs) you know, and then you can figure out how you want to interact with them.
0: So I would say that there are loads of resources out there, uh, whether it be websites, YouTube channels, you know, podcasts, what have you that are going to give you both player and DM tips You know, as you said in the beginning, you know, we are a YouTube channel. We do have a website. You know, Dave says we've got over 3,000 videos. Our website's been going on for over five years at at this point in time. So there is a lot of resources that we have put out there alone, let alone everyone else that's doing this, you know, uh, as well. So you can always turn to those kinds of things to say, how do I do this or how do I do that? And you know you might have to watch a couple of videos or read a couple of articles, but you're going to find some of those answers without even needing to, to bother anyone. And all that's going to do is going to improve your game, whether you're a player or a DM.
1: Let's revisit some of the benefits of playing this game that families can gain. What have you noticed from talking to people probably all over the world, given how popular your YouTube channel is? Um, or even just from your own families? What are some of the benefits that you're seeing people get from this game?
2: So one of the things I can say is you get a lot more social interaction from people that you might not normally get. People that are more introverted, maybe they can get into their character and, and engage with a group of people. So I, I feel like there's a, lot, there's a lot of benefits there. As Ted had mentioned earlier, it's great for relieving stress and anxiety Right now, we got a little bit extra of that going on. So, it, you know, it's definitely helpful there. I mean, we literally have a friend who, you know, used to call us up. This is for the parents, right? Your show?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah. And he used to call us up and be like, hey, I had a bad week at work. I want to kill shit. Can, you know, uh, are we going to game this weekend? But, you know, also for, like, kids and younger people, it's problem-solving skills. It's, you know, you, there's a lot of math and reading involved in it. Tons of benefits.
0: You know, you, you get, as Dave says, the interaction, but you've got the camaraderie through gaming. I have made so many friends over the years. Uh, one, of, one of my best friends, uh, you know, was a friend of a friend who the first time I, I met him in person was when he was coming over to game when I was, you know, just a teenager at that point in time. Uh, and, you know, we've maintained, a, you know, a friendship for a long, long time. You know, you get to meet people all around the world if uh, you're willing to, you know, game with those online. And right now, that is kind of the only way to do so safely. Uh, I've met some amazing people, you know, doing this Nerdarchy thing that, you know, I never would have had a chance to meet if I wasn't willing to join groups and talk to people uh, through this shared hobby You've got, you know, the self-confidence boost that comes with being able to, you know, complete a story or complete a mission. Uh, I wasn't all that great when it comes to, when it came to sports when I was a kid. Can't really say that I am now either, because that's besides the point. But by being able to do this imaginative, creative, pseudo-intelligent hobby, you know, I was able to build confidence. And when I, you know, decided to become that paladin or that elf or that fighter, whatever have you... I got to feel better about myself because I could I could accomplish something physically that in the real world never never could happen or never would happen.
1: On the ADHD side of things, one element that I want to point out for parents is this is a great way to train your kids executive functioning and problem-solving skills. Because as the DM, you can be that second thought that a kid might not otherwise have. The kid might say, "I'm going to go punch him in the nose because that would be cool and they're really excited and as the dm you can say like okay i'm, I'm not going to say you can't punch him in the nose but i'm going to tell you that if you punch him in the nose this this and this is going to happen and it's all going to be bad and your character could probably figure that out so not saying don't just i just want you to go in armed with that knowledge are you going to punch him in the nose
2: here are some of the potential consequences punching you in the nose right
0: that is a really great point you know for for those players who are you know regardless of whether you've got a condition or whether you are just you know uh quick with a thought uh you know without really thinking about what that action is going to have you know it can actually teach compassion it can it can teach them to think about the actions before you do Uh, so for anyone you know adult or child that's a that's actually a really good thing as well
1: and even going very basic, as we're talking, role playing games even teach you how to take turns. Because when you enter combat, there's a thing, at least in DD, called initiative, where you roll a die and get a number, and that's when you go. When that number comes, that's when you get to decide what you're going to do in this combat or this situation. And you have to wait. You have to wait for your turn before you get to go. And early on, when I was playing with the boys, there is a little bit of a learning curve on that, and even still, the more exciting the game gets, sometimes there's a little bit of a "Is it my turn yet? Do I get to go yet?" So even something as simple as that is a learning element of Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games in general.
0: It's got a, you know, a little bit of teaching patience as well, right? Uh, and and you know, along those same lines, you know, there are advancements, there are, are ways to get better, stronger. Uh, so there is a you know risk versus reward uh education level in there as well.
1: And for folks who love video games where you get to have that growth and see that progress whether it's going up in the video game level or the character advancing. Video games stole that from Dungeons and Dragons. If your kid loves that about video games, D&D can do the same thing. Yeah. And they're not staring at a screen interacting with maybe people over the internet, maybe no one. They're interacting with mom and dad and their brothers and sisters and that sort of thing.
2: There was one thing I did have a thought about too, as far as, you know, getting your kids into tabletop role-playing games. I don't know if we, you were talking about it earlier when we're, while we are recording or, you know, previously. But the idea that a lot of kids are in front of their screens, they're doing screen time and they're playing video games, pay attention to what they're playing, what kind of genres and what they like. Because you can use that as kind of the gateway into a tabletop role-playing game. None of their games are fantasy. Well, Dungeons & Dragons probably might not be the game for them. You might need to find something that has lasers and blasters and rocket ships to hook them in. You know, and you know the same thing would go for if you know all they play is fantasy games. And yeah, look at Dungeons & Dragons. So you can kind of try and match their interests to the right role-playing. And there's tons of them. Dungeons & Dragons is actually one of the more complex games. So, if you find one of these other ones, there's a good possibility it might even be easier to learn and teach.
0: There are games that have simpler mechanics, that have, you know, only use either a single die or a single type of dice. Uh, I mean, there's literally a role-playing game out there for just about everything, if not everything. Uh, There are system generic role-playing games that you literally could put anything as your backdrop and you just use the rule set to create your character and play in the world that you want. Now, what is the children's favorite TV show? Are they obsessed with, you know, Pokemon or Disney movies? Okay, we're going to get into that. The Disney world is all, all connected. All of these things exist and you want to go do this, you know, adapt the rule set and use how to train your dragon. Totally doable. Not, not a problem might take some creative thinking and finding the right rule set, but it's out there.
1: And that's part of the magic of these games is that you can pretty much do anything with it. If you're going back to where we started, if your kid loves the Marvel movies, Mutants and Masterminds is the way to go because that's superheroes. If your son loves How to Train Your Dragon and your daughter loves Frozen, Hiccup can meet Elsa. They can go on adventures on the back of Toothless if you want.
2: Well, you know, oddly enough, one of the, core mechanics to no thank you evil is having a pet or a companion you know a game like that already has that built in because like we already know as gamers if we've been doing this for a while and you've played with a lot of kids that they always love pets or companions
0: companions that is actually kind of the you know even though my my game is D D, that is kind of the the major theme of of that game that i'm running uh out of a five person party three of them if not four of them now all have some kind of companion to go along with it it's like all right we've got some way for there to be an animal with everybody even though you know the rules haven't really made it available for every class so it's like all right we're just gonna we're just gonna make this happen and they're all having a blast they're all loving it
1: and another way that pets and companions can come in sometimes is you've got a bunch of older kids and like one five-year-old a lot of the time, the five-year-old plays the pet or companion. I've, had, I've encountered that on several occasions. And mostly, the 5 year olds perfectly happy playing a random cat or a, or a magical dog or something. And they're off just gleefully causing mischief. And yeah, you have to clean that up as a player, but it's still extra fun and you kind of humor the five-year-old. So that's another way to use pets and companions is to bridge that age gap. So just being mindful of time, do you guys have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience?
0: Uh, so, you know, kind of to cover some of the, the basic points, there are a lot of skills, uh, you know, that D&D or role-playing games is, uh, in general are going to teach children compassion, problem-solving, connectivity in this, you know, very important time of self-isolation. You know, it's going to teach, you know, the, the, the reward of being able to do a good job and get something for it. It's, it's going to teach patients because it's not always just about, oh, well I do a thing and I automatically get it. No, sometimes you've gotta you know, do a lot more in order to get that magic item or levels that you're looking for. But it's, it's a great tool to bring people together. It's great to explore this you know, world of imagination. D&D or any of these role-playing games, it really boils down to they are, they are all playing make-believe with rules. And those rules are as fluid as you, know, you want them to be when you're the one that's you know, kind of guiding the story. Really, you want to have fun with it. You want to make sure that everybody at the table are enjoying themselves and that you are preparing your adventure to the players that you actually have at that particular table because you know, the kind of game that Dave might want versus the kind of game that I might want today might be vastly different. But if you can find something that bridges the gap and makes, makes them all happy, all the better.
2: I would say if you're thinking about getting involved in tabletop role-playing games, just do it. You know, There are so many benefits to doing it. As a parent with older children, kids have become kind of less social and less involved with each other. And this is a game that requires people to come together and share an experience. For that alone, it's worth it. But as Ted said earlier on, we've made lifelong friends from this hobby. And those are just a couple of the social aspects of the game. It doesn't get into all the other things that would help a young person and help their mind to kind of develop. And, you know, it's something that can suck people in who maybe have trouble paying attention sometimes and get them involved because it it feels like they're doing something and something is happening to them. And I think that's part of the appeal.
1: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.